Well, you made it to the fourth part about bed bugs, and we're going to start off talking a little bit about insecticides, though that's not truly my expertise. I've learned a few things about insecticides over the years. Though, on a related topic, I will state I know a thing or two about evolution, so let's start there. Evolution can happen over thousands and millions of years, but it is always, always occurring. And when selection pressures become intense, some aspects of evolution move rather quickly. So now we're starting to see headlines and newspapers and in scientific journals that say bed bugs are evolving thicker exoskeletons to help them resist widely used insecticides. Now remember that selection and evolution, they're neither good or bad things. It's just a thing. And what evolution does is it gives you as a species upgrades, you know, a 2.0, a 3.0, whatever is really needed for the current environment to compete. Natural selection allows the best able to survive an environment to live and then pass down its genes. And it is done without a consciousness, which can be tough for a species built and motivated by fiction, like our species, to accept. So I'll get back to explaining that. But on a practical level, a deer might not like that a mountain lion has become a stealth predator, but the mountain lion loves any advantage it has. So again, it is not that natural selection and evolution is good or bad. You know, it may be good for the mountain lion, bad for the deer. We can give multiple examples throughout multiple species on how it affects its own species and then the one that may be predator or prey. Getting back to fiction, believing we are designed by someone or something, it takes less thought and proof and is easier to accept. And it's amazing how many people, including some religious physicians, such as in my town, are willing to believe against all evidence that species today are exactly as God created them in Genesis, meaning that's, that's how they think the world is. And I'm sure this exists in multiple other towns and cities and countries throughout the world and relates to whatever creation story the religion in that area happens to believe in. And again, while humans are unique in many ways, the single biggest trait that separates humans from the rest of life on Earth is likely the fiction we tell ourselves. We could never convince a bunch of lion males to go massacre another lion tribe because it will guarantee them 72 virgin lionesses after they die. Those lion males want the female lions in hunting territory they conquer immediately. And a group of lions, and even our closest genetic mammals like the apes, are not concerned with how history was written about their pride, herd, or colony. They don't care what future editorials will say. They are concerned with what is. It's not simply religion. It's numerous fictions humans tell themselves about politics and religion, economics, and numerous other subjects that lead to war, racism, and even false peace. But let me assure you something that is not fiction, which is selection and evolution. And it is strange that physicists don't outright reject Einstein or their Bohr or Newton, but 
When it comes to Darwin, some religious physicians can reject the greatest biologist of all time. Now, no story about bedbugs is complete without mentioning DDT. There's almost no sure guarantees in life, but this may be one. If you talk about bedbugs with more than four people in the conversation, some guy who feels that he knows it all is going to say, well, if them tree huggers would just let us bring back DDT, this wouldn't be an issue, right? While many are quick to blurt out solutions like, let's bring back DDT, it is not clear it would be a miracle fix today. Now, don't get me wrong. We all know that simple, blurted, one-line answers are indeed usually the complete solution to complex problems like the economy, healthcare, crime, terrorism, and, of course, bed bugs. DDT, without question, was very helpful in fighting bed bugs, as well as fighting malaria and other problems in the past. But that was the past, and we are in a different time. And as a result, we learned a few things about its impact on other species beyond mosquitoes and bed bugs. And those unintended consequences aside for the moment, while DDT may be used as a weapon, it is unlikely it would be as effective as it was in the past. See, there is a cross-resistance to pesticides, including DDT, that bed bugs developed with time. And I will also admit, I am one of those people that thinks we do need to save the earth because, I don't know, after all, it's the only planet with chocolate. But as I said, I also happen to believe that what initially was called a theory of evolution in the 1800s is now solid proven evidence. And evolution has resulted in things like cross-resistance issues with species like bedbugs. And it's really hard to even address infectious disease without understanding and accepting evolution. See, in 1928, when Dr. Fleming noted that a mold called penicillium had contaminated his petri dishes and the mold prevented the normal growth of staphylococci, he then developed a theory to try and prove. He didn't say day one that he discovered an antibiotic and that it will work in humans. He tried it again in dishes. He didn't say day one, I can extract this and put it in a human and it will kill bacteria. It was extracted and then tried by other scientists in randomized controlled trials in mice. And then they tried it in a human and it didn't work. And that one person died because they didn't have enough to control the infection. But 14 years after seeing it in a Petri dish, by serendipity, by the way, the first human was then treated with an antibiotic. And soon it was clear that Fleming had started with a theory, and that theory turned out to be correct, and now it is no longer a theory. A hypothesis in science starts as a theory, and then if you prove it wrong, you throw it out. If you prove it right, over and over and over and over, it is no longer a theory. So when some extremist says, well, even Darwin called it a theory, well, yes, he did, because he was a scientist, and that's what we do before we know the facts. 
While knowledge is power on an individual level, I do think ignorance is a strength for certain politicians and religious institutions, and that's unfortunate. But evolution in the process of selection will go on even if some choose ignorance. By the way, Fleming was awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1945 and predicted that penicillin resistance could develop. One of the many consequences of evolution is bacteria become resistant to certain antibiotics, just as bed bugs develop resistance to insecticides. And to make it more complicated, there can be cross-resistance. Why is there cross-resistance? If a bed bug is resistant to a pyrethroid, which constitute the majority of commercial household insecticides, why would it then also become resistant to DDT? If the bugs are exposed to one pesticide and not exposed to the other, wouldn't just using the other pesticide be effective? No, not necessarily. And for the medical professionals listening, you see this all the time, whether you recognize it or not. And I'm not solely talking about infectious disease, though we see it there. It's the same, for instance, that same reason alcoholics, they can become tolerant to high dosages of benzodiazepines despite never ever having taken a Valium or Ativan in their life because alcohol and benzodiazepines work on the same GABA receptors. Well, likewise, DDT and pyrethroids attack the same part of the bug's nervous system. And when bugs develop genetic point mutations, making them resistant to one, it often makes them resistant to both. Bed bugs evolve to develop enzymes that break down poisons they are exposed to, and they are also selected to evolve thicker exoskeletons, more resistant to absorbing all kinds of pesticides. Needless to say, there are several considerations that go into making pesticides that include profitability. On the list of considerations is how efficacious is it in killing the bug versus how toxic it is to humans. Let's put that decision back on you for a moment. Do you prefer a pesticide, which are poisons, drenching your apartment, especially if you have kids crawling around, putting things in their mouth, or, on the other hand, continuing to receive annoying bites that are not well linked to frequently causing much major disease? It feels like a bad election season when we feel like we have to pick between which STD we'd rather have. So I know these aren't good options, but the pesticide concern seems to be among several contributing reasons why heat treatments have become so popular. But pesticides will likely always have a place, and I couldn't begin to tell you which one to use if you get bed bugs. An acknowledged problem in the bed bug pesticide industry is similar to physicians who see drug reps on a frequent basis. The funding of bed bug researchers is often by pesticide and chemical companies. Now this is a good time to remind people I do not at all meet with pharmaceutical reps in well over a decade, but 
that aside, the bed bug treatment industry is chock full of stories of effective and total scam expensive treatments. The only sure thing about bed bugs is they are difficult to control. And it really is a reason it is called the pest control industry rather than total eradication industry. Just because a product kills bed bugs doesn't mean it will eradicate them completely. Then you have this sticky issue that people have truly been poisoned with eradication treatments. And then there are the flakes wanting to believe the fantasy that peppermint oil with cinnamon or some other natural treatment will actually work in killing bed bugs or breast cancer or whatever. All right, well, let's switch gears for a moment from external poisons and let's head back into the head a little bit. So, you know, as I've mentioned, you really can't listen about things like bed bugs or lice without scratching a little bit. And a relatively rare, but far from unheard of problem, and one I've seen a few times in my career, is delusions of parasitosis. Delusional parasitosis is a mistaken belief that one is being infested by parasites, such as bugs, mites, lice, fleas, and other organisms. Treatment is difficult as these patients are totally convinced of the existence of infestation of their parasites and can be very resistant to psychiatric treatment since they are sure the parasites are real. Our inner experience does not always reflect outer reality, sometimes to the extreme. Now, many suffer from entomophobia, an excessive or unrealistic fear of insects. Probably everyone listening in the United States, at least, knows a few friends or family members with this. I don't know if the study has been done, but I would have to just assume, maybe incorrectly, but I assume in a very insect-filled place like the Amazon rainforest, this excessive fear of bugs can't be as common as it is in urban or even suburban environments without nearly as many insects as a place like the Amazon. Now, some insects are indeed poisonous, and others like the reduvid bugs that spread Chagas disease, which I gained a sincere respect for when I did a month of medicine on the Amazon River years ago, um, those insects, they are indeed worthy of a rational fear. However, benign house and apartment insects in the United States can drive deep fear into those with entomophobia. And of those non-killer insects, bed bugs, while not totally benign, as we've talked about in some of the previous lectures, in the sense that they can cause a lot of discomfort physically and psychologically, they nevertheless often rank towards the top when it comes to fear to the point of almost irrational paranoia. And some will go through any measure to get rid of bed bugs, even if it means selling the house and cars, even if those items already are free of bed bugs. Bed bugs do inspire a whole new level of 
irrationality that much fewer people harbor for the more deadly mosquito that kills millions with malaria, Zika, dengue, and all kinds of other serious illnesses. Again, it is well acknowledged that bed bugs cause real suffering. That I don't want to minimize if you are living with an infestation. So there is rationality behind the human hate for them. It's just that our proportion of hate is illogically less for some truly deadly insects. And I remember driving home from skiing last year with my wife and kids in the car, and I put on an audiobook called Infested by Brooke Borrell, which is one of several sources I used for learning about this issue. And I should say it deserves a plug because that is the best book I know of for those wanting to dive deeper into this topic. Anyway, I know I am not the most fly guy, and usually my family will only tolerate an audiobook for about 45 minutes before they demand a change to music or they just fall asleep and I'm the only one listening in the car. This is the one time my wife couldn't even hear more than half of a chapter before she freaked out and turned on music. And my kid asked her, why were you so upset listening to that? And my wife replied, because they are so gross and no matter what you do, you can never get rid of them. And I didn't say anything because I know better than to argue with facts and data. And oh man, I mean, the power of moms is incredible. She had those kids in the shower immediately and the laundry done in record time when we got home. Just listening a little bit about this topic elicited that response. So what I'm trying to emphasize is that smart, intelligent people will freak out when you mention the word bed bugs. Therefore, if you're a clinician, you have to be empathetic about this topic, even though it may seem relatively minor compared to a lot of the other stuff we see. While it's not cancer or spinal paralysis, it can cause some psychological trauma that goes way beyond the rash and the itching. And so therefore, let's take that into account. And if we can keep these organisms in our differential diagnoses when we're seeing a rash or an unexplained cellulitis, then we can also help these patients not only in discovering what might be the problem, but in getting them a few steps closer to eradicating the problem, and then provide a rational and sympathetic ear to helping the patient through this problem, even though we may not be the ultimate solution and there's going to have to be other people involved that can include companies that work with this issue full-time, landlords, all kinds of people that come into play but ultimately, we do need to understand what bed bugs are, the physical manifestations, and the psychological manifestations, and we become better clinicians by being able to do that. All right, well, I hope this was educational. I hope this was entertaining for you as well. And I'm Dr. Gil Perrot. I think we'll end the lecture series on bed bugs, at least for now here 
and I will catch you on the next round with the next topic.